dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. Each episode, we'll discuss one classic book and share some recommendations for more contemporary reads that feature similar themes. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Hi, Allie. Welcome to Novel Pairings. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Allie, you are the first guest we've had on Novel Pairings, but both Sarah and I have had the pleasure of guesting on your show, the SSR Podcast. Well, I've had the pleasure of having you both on my on my show, SSR, and it's really fun to be on the other side of the mic. Um, any excuse to chat with you two wonderful bookworms again, really. I mean, anytime. Like, let's do another episode. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to take you up on that. <laughs> um, for those who don't know, SSR stands for Shit She Read, and it is a podcast that features throwback reads from our teen and tween days and looks at them from kind of a grown-up modern perspective. SSR is one of our favorite book podcasts, and Allie, we just love listening to you talk about books, and we're going to talk more about SSR, your podcast, and all things young adult and kid lit, but first, let's briefly talk about the classics. What's one classic you love and one classic you loathe? Okay, so there's one classic I really love, but I think I'm going to hang on to that one for like my recommendations at the end because it's the one that I'm like really passionate about. Another classic that I love almost as much though, and I know this is very polarizing, is The Scarlet Letter, um, which I read in 10th grade and I feel like I was the only one in my class who really enjoyed it. And one classic (laughs) that I loathe is Lord of the Flies. (laughs) I love that you love the Scarlet Letter. And when we inevitably do a Scarlet Letter episode, you're going to have to come back on and share more details. But what is it you love about the Scarlet Letter? Honestly, it's been it's been a minute since I read it. Fair um, enough. I won't say how many years ago 10th grade was. But I just remember loving that it was one of the first classics that we'd been assigned in school that focused on a woman's experience. Um, I feel like most of the required reading that I'd done to that point was inevitably focused on like white men or like white boys. Um, And there were only female characters who were their moms or like the annoying girl at school. And I just remember The Scarlet Letter being the first book that explored, I mean, granted a very unique upsetting female experience, but a female experience nonetheless. And I just found it very compelling. And it was also kind of juicy. And I remember feeling like it was almost like illicit to be reading in school. It was exciting to have a chance to read something that was so different than other required reading. I remember really enjoying The Scarlet Letter in high school as well for a lot of the same reasons. And I had a really great teacher and that makes a really big difference as well. But Sarah and I have had conversations about Lord of the Flies and how we've not read it and we just don't want to. (laughs) Don't. Don't. I mean, again, so I I say that I love The Scarlet Letter having not read it in a long time. And if I go back and reread it now, I probably will be so embarrassed to have admitted that I love it 
on your podcast. I also have not gone back to reread Lord of the Flies in a while. I have sort of strategically not suggested that to any of my guests on SSR um, just because I just like I already reread Animal Farm, which is a close second in terms of classics that I hate. And I already did that for the podcast. I don't know that I'm ready to do Lord of the Flies sort of in the opposite direction. It's, I mean, it's, it's just a book about a bunch of boys. It's just a book about a bunch of boys fighting over power. It's um, more of a survival story. Anybody who's listened to my podcast knows that I like don't really have the attention span for survival stories. I don't find it that interesting. Um, and I, I remember it took me like the whole summer before freshman year of high school to read Lord of the Flies. And it's not a long book. It took me like the whole summer to drag myself through it. Um, I just found it like not at all interesting and and annoying. And it, it was very hard for me to connect with it. Um, and in hindsight, like looking back at some of these books we were assigned as kids in school, I'm like, couldn't there have been a book that maybe people in the class who weren't 14-year-old boys would have resonated with? Like it, it, there was just nothing for me to relate to. Yes. I think that's, as you've mentioned, so true of so many of the books that were assigned in high school or even that live in school libraries. And The Lord of the Flies, granted, I haven't read it, but (laughs) from what I know about the way people talk about it, they like to talk about how it's so revealing about human nature. So to me, it's just an example of one of those books that's about a bunch of white boys, and then we pretend like it says something universal about the human experience, which I find particularly annoying. Right, and pretend that it's representative in some way of the human experience, which it's so not. Um, So yeah, I think that's a great way to describe it and captures what I remember of the experience. Like I, I just couldn't figure out what I was supposed to learn from it. It just felt to me like a bunch of annoying dudes like fighting over power and being mean to each other. Yeah. Well, hearing you say all of this, I mean, I'd be kind of excited for you to do a Lord of the Flies episode. (laughs) I know. I mean, you guys both know how much I love to talk about a book that I didn't like so much, but it's a little exhausting. Plus, I'm always worried that people are going to come for me about my opinions. And then that, you know, is like a whole other saga about how to deal with people who say that I don't have an appreciation for certain kinds of literature or you know, that I'm too much of a feminist in the way that I read books because I get all of that. Um, and I just sort of have to like brace myself emotionally to deal with that kind of a conversation. <laughs> yeah, that is totally fair. And we completely understand. We haven't yet covered a book that we've panned on novel pairings and we will, but we haven't gone through that yet. So yeah, you have to psych yourself up for it. You have to be ready. <laughs> like you have to commit. If you're really going to pan a book, you just have to be all in and prepared to discuss why you panned it. That's my that's my um, pep talk for you in talking about <laughs> books that you didn't enjoy. That's good advice. So, Allie, you are truly an expert in young adult and middle grade books. And I personally don't read a ton of YA, but I know a lot of readers love YA, particularly in the summer. And so – I'd love to start, I think because my brain is very teachery and needs to define my terms up front. Yep. I am wondering, what what do you think makes a book a YA book other than just the marketing or where it's shelved in the library? Well, I, and I think most people who listen to my show know this, but um, I worked in children's publishing for five years after college. And so um, when I put on my 
like official children's publishing sales hat. Um, Middle grade is defined as a book geared toward readers between the ages of eight and 12. And then YA is defined as a book geared at young readers who are 12 and over. Um, I personally love discussing both genres on the show. I think middle grade tends to be a little bit on the sweeter side. Um, It's often more about these like very formative, like basic lessons that you learn when you're in middle school. Sometimes it's a little bit juicier, but in my experience, it tends to be like a little bit cleaner, um, sometimes a little bit more conservative. There's talking animals sometimes, you know, there's like a little bit more whimsy. YA, there's a wider range, you know, there's a little bit more action. Sometimes there's sex and relationships. Um, The language can be sort of at a different level. Um, So I think, you know, in my mind, sometimes it does blend together. And when I was a kid myself, I tended to read a little bit above my grade level, which sounds like a humble brag, but it just was what I was drawn to. Um, And so I think that as much as I try to define the two genres separately in my head, the truth is that like when I'm looking at each of these books for the podcast, I try to remember that there are always going to be kids that are reading the book who might be outside of the author or the publisher's original target audience. So I like to think about how kids in different age brackets might perceive that book. No, that makes so much sense. I think I find that I think about this a lot, both as a teacher, but also I just don't really remember using the term YA when I was in high school. Like I, I remember moving from like what I would call kids books to what I would call like grown up books and not feeling like there was as much in between. And it seems like YA is having kind of a renaissance or maybe we're even going back and labeling books that weren't described as YA as YA now is that does that ring true to your experience a hundred percent I don't ever remember as a kid who loved reading like being aware that I was reading books in different categories and I definitely don't remember YA or young adult being terms that I heard about in the library or even in the bookstore. I think it's really more of an invention of like the early to mid aughts. Um, And at that time, like you, Sarah, I was sort of trying to read as many adult books as I could. So I think I maybe like forced myself out of that category, maybe before I had a chance to really experience it. And now we talk about, and I'm part of that, like we um, talk about all of these books from like decades gone by as if they were ever intended to live as a quote-unquote YA or quote-unquote middle grade book. And that was not a thing. You know, that's really a recent invention. And so it's interesting to see um, kind of the extent to which books are categorized or maybe even over-categorized now. And then we we also go back and we do the same thing for older books. So yeah, it's totally new. Um, and it's exciting to see how it's unfolding. And when I was working in children's publishing, um, that was between like 2012 and 2016. So that it, it felt at the time like I was really in the thick of it. John Green was still like totally having his moment. And I feel like, you know, right around that time was when YA really started to pick up speed. So Allie, we we know you love Kid Lit and YA, but why specifically did you decide to focus your podcast on throwbacks? And what drew you to that middle grade YA kind of vintage feel in the first place for the SSR podcast? Give us a little behind the scenes scoop. 
Yeah. So I, um, when I left my job in publishing in 2016, I, um, I started freelancing full-time writing and content managing and editing and doing lots of different things. Um, and after doing that for about a year and a half, I, I realized that I really missed the book talk because that had been one of my favorite parts, obviously, about my job in publishing. So I really wanted to figure out some sort of a passion project or a niche for myself that would allow me to like play in that world again um, and get back in touch with everything that I learned in that job. And um, the second half of my of my like you know stint working in publishing was working in adult books, and I quite frankly didn't enjoy that as much. Um, I think the special thing about children's books is that they are so evergreen, like they just live forever. There's a higher proportion of YA and middle grade books that sort of just like live on in infamy or famously for a long time, whereas I think there's you know a, really just a handful of adult books that we're talking about for years and years and years that just seems to have a shorter shelf life so i thought that was interesting um you know i think it's it's fascinating the way kids books live on in schools i think um it's really cool now that i'm kind of like in the world differently to like see how required reading changes from year to year and how curriculum changes from year to year so those things sort of i think were what piqued my interest in the world of kidlit when i worked in the industry, it, I just found that we were always as like adult professionals having these conversations about how books from our own childhoods connected to the new books that we were selling in 2012, 2013, 2014. So I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Like you don't necessarily have these same, ki- these same kind of conversations with other media. And of course, I was working with a lot of book people. So that's part of it. But I just thought it was really interesting that we were like having this ongoing conversation about books from our childhood. And I that just sort of struck a chord with me. And so um, when I was figuring out what I was going to do for my passion project, and then I figured out that it would be a podcast, I settled on this idea of, of doing something with children's books. And I just have always like, I've always sort of leaned toward nostalgic. I was like that annoying kid in high school who like only watched The Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink <laughs> and Sixteen Candles and like that was sort of like my thing. Um, and I've moved past that and realized that, you know, that kid in high school can be really annoying. But <laughs> I do have an appreciation for how these things just kind of like live within us. And I think it's fascinating how the media that we consume as kids, whether it's books or magazines or TV or movies, it really is, it's foundational to us as we get older and it helps shape our worldview so much. Like obviously your parents and your family and your friends and your community shape a lot of what you think about the world, but you're spending a lot of time with media when you're not with those people that, and that stuff gets in your head. So I was just sort of like fascinated thinking about maybe how the book, how the books that I read when I was a voracious kid reader had influenced me without my even knowing it. And then as I came into my own as an adult with politics and just sort of like my fundamental beliefs about the world around me, I was like, oh, I wonder if any of that came from the books I read or if some of the books that I read as a kid would actually totally fly in the face of what I believe now. So I just wanted to explore that and it became this big thing with SSR. Oh, I love that. And Allie, I'm curious to know if there are some books you've read for SSR that make you go – like, oh my gosh, I feel so seen. Like I see Allie at 12 and I see Allie now in this book so much. <laughs> That's so interesting. You know, there's a lot of them. I made a little list of the things that held up and, and the things that I really enjoyed rereading. Um, I think that I surprisingly, I, I surprisingly like get myself as a kid a lot when I read the Babysitter's Club. And there's a lot that has, does not hold up about The Babysitter's Club. Um, we've done a couple of episodes about a few books in the series so far. But I think the idea of these like young girls 
figuring something out for themselves, being super creative and resourceful and headstrong, um, not really letting a lot of things stop them from reaching their goal. I didn't have as much of an appreciation for that when I was a kid. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And I wasn't like a massive Babysitter's Club fan when I was growing up, but I read enough of the books and I'm sure it had worked its way into my consciousness. And so that was exciting to read that like that was positive. I think anytime I've read a book from the 80s or 90s that um, has really positive female friendships, that feels really good because unfortunately that's kind of like the minority. There's so many books written from years ago that sort of like glorify like the mean girls trope. Um, And so anytime I've read a book from my own childhood where I feel like it's a really healthy female friendship culture, I'm like, oh, I'm happy I read that and and realized that girls aren't always going to be out to get each other, aren't always going to be mean to each other. Um, I think the book Speak by Lori Hulse Anderson, that was also a, a really fascinating reread for me because I was really young when I read it for the first time. Quite frankly, like too young. I mean, I think if I were to give it to a kid now, I would not give it to them at the age that I was when I read it. I was probably like nine or 10, um, which is too young to really understand like the gravity of the book. But I remember knowing that it was important. Like I remember knowing that it was different than any other book that I read before, knowing that I needed to try to figure out why it was so significant and that I sort of wanted to like figure it out. And I was scared to ask grownups like what it meant because I knew it was too old for me and I was always reading books that were too old for me so I think coming back to it as an adult and like experiencing it and really understanding it I had an appreciation where I was like oh you know it would have been really easy to just like breeze through this as a nine-year-old and not get it but I think I I appreciate the fact that I got it like even if I didn't understand exactly the details it was heartening to me to realize that like I I was kind of gearing up to be aware of these kinds of issues even as a kid. I think it's so true that the books we read in our childhoods are are much more formative than the books we continue reading as adults. And I love all of your thoughts. I'm sure a lot of readers can relate about reading up and reading things that you aren't maybe quite ready for. I'm also curious what you think I think I probably know the answer to this, but where do you fall on the ongoing debate about whether adults should read YA? Well, what's interesting is that before SSR, I like I'm not somebody who like reads YA for fun. So I think I've sort of stumbled into this world of all of these adults that read YA for fun and I've been able to get involved in these conversations. I actually don't get to read a lot of new YA because I am trying to like juggle my SSR reading with my reading for pleasure, which is primarily adult books. So I I was not somebody who was part of that community before. I say that people should read whatever they want. Um, I think it's awesome that adults are interested in YA. It's such a rich and diverse and like vast genre at this point. The category is growing and there's such brilliant authors working in this category. Um, and I think especially like there are adults that feel like they don't necessarily have the attention span for a standard length adult book, um, or they would rather read some of the genres that are more prevalent in YA, like fantasy or sci-fi, um, or they love like a fun contemporary romance. Like you said, Sarah, especially in the summer, like you don't necessarily get some of those feelings from reading adult books. So I say go ahead and enjoy your YA Um, maybe someday I'll become more of a contemporary YA reader. Right now I only get to read contemporary YA when we do New Reads November on the podcast. 
but I know that there is some very cool stuff going on in the genre. So go for it. I, I have no judgment. I love that. I've found for myself that I've really enjoyed middle grade recently. Yeah. It's just, I feel like middle grade authors are tackling such big issues in these really gentle and earnest ways. And I love that middle grade deals a lot with friendship rather than kind of the YA romance stuff, which is totally fun and I love, but I I think kids and teens really need to see depictions of friendship as being incredibly important relationships beyond just romantic relationships. Well, we did middle grade books when each of you was on the pod. So that, I mean, I actually, I think middle grade is such a beautiful category, especially middle grade from the 80s and 90s. I think it's it just, there's something so sweet about it. I think there's the friendship relationships. I think there's a lot about family in those books, which is so important for kids. I think especially when young kids are maybe feeling like their family looks different than other families or they like don't know how to make sense of something that their own family is going through. I think middle grade authors continue to do a really amazing job of showing the diversity of family experiences um, and revealing that not everybody comes from a perfect family and we all sort of treat each other differently and, and that's okay. So I agree with you. I think middle grade is really special. So, Allie, something that Sarah and I have both noticed is that our reading lives have changed since starting the podcast. For instance, our contemporary reads, stuff that we're not reading for the podcast, tend to revolve around the classics that we are reading for the podcast. And I'm curious to know if you've noticed the same thing with SSR. Has your reading life changed from the influence of these kid-lit books, do you notice some patterns emerging where you're like, oh, I really like that theme from the kid-lit I've been reading and I'm noticing that sort of come through in my contemporary adult reading life? We're just eager to hear about how the podcast influences that. Hmm, that's an interesting question and one that I actually haven't thought about very much before. Um I find that my reading life since starting the podcast is sort of like an ongoing scramble (laughs) um, of trying to read what feels like a million books every month. Um, I average about like nine or 10 books a month between the podcast and then just like trying to read the books that I want to read. I don't know that I feel like there's a connection, but I do think that I'm trying more and more to figure out those links um, because I think like what you do on the show is so cool with the way you link contemporary reads and classics. And um, I'm trying to have a greater appreciation for how some of those links might exist in my own reading life. Also, because I do think one can inform the other and I'm trying to like look for patterns in like the books that I enjoy from my contemporary reading life and the books that I enjoy from my podcast reading life, even if they aren't sort of like intentionally linked. I'm trying to pay a little bit closer attention to like where the similarities might exist later on. Um, And I do think that while one maybe doesn't necessarily inform the other, I've learned a lot about my own reading preferences and habits as an adult from the books that I've enjoyed most for the podcast. Like it's kind of fun to see how my tastes really haven't changed that much. Like I still gravitate towards similar kinds of books. Um, So while I'm not necessarily – like linking the two in real time, I will say that like I've noticed some fun like parallels um, between like my current and past reading life, if that makes sense. Totally. What's one of those parallels that you've noticed across the board? 
Yeah, I mean, I am like all characters. Give me all the characters. Give me 8,000 characters. Give me like a 1,000 <laughs> pages of them. I don't need them to get in any fights. I don't need to, them to go on a trip. I don't need them to do magic. I just need them to exist and have crazy backstories and be in relationships with each other in some way. Like that's all that I need. I will read that all day long. Um, so the Westing game was a really interesting one for me to revisit by Ellen Raskin because there's a ton of characters in that book. It's actually kind of confusing. Like even as an adult, I found that I had to do a lot of rereading, like skipping back just to make sure I understood kind of all the moving pieces. And I was like, oh, I, I loved that book when I was a kid. And I didn't really remember anything about it specifically. But when I came back to it, I was like, oh, okay. Like, that's interesting. Like, I love juggling all these characters now. Like, The Interestings is one of my favorite, all-time favorite books as a kid, as an adult. Um, and that's another one with lots of characters. The Nest. Like, I loved, I love anything with interconnected characters, which is sort of reminiscent of the Westing game. I love any book that shows, like, a, div- a diversity of family experiences um, as an adult. And I feel the same way about books that I've reread for the podcast, like I can sort of feel like everything else about a book was wrong. But if I feel like the author did a great job of like featuring a family that's been affected by divorce or a family that's lost a loved one, I'm like, no, this book is great. Like I love everything about this book. That can sort of override a lot of things for me, Um, especially because I, as a kid, like I, my parents were divorced. My parents were remarrying. I was having half siblings and step siblings come into the picture And it's a lot to take in. And no matter how well your parents try to prepare you for that, like I think sometimes what you need is to see examples of what it looks like. And so um, I think I really appreciate those kinds of stories. And as an adult, like I love a family drama. So um, that those are some of the parallels. And then anything with like a strong female protagonist is still my preference. And um, when I think about the books that I loved the most as a kid, most of them are like female-led stories. I I love everything you said. And I, I think, I mean, I've known this for a while that you and I have quite similar reading tastes. Yeah. And I also know that you are, like me, a Harry Potter super fan. Mm. And I, I've had the experience of, I thought for a long time that I was – on the lookout for my next great fantasy series because I wanted to replicate that feeling of reading Harry Potter. And I think it wasn't until maybe like right this moment hearing you talk that I'm realizing that wasn't what I loved about Harry Potter. It was the diversity of families, the friendships, the backstories, and that I have had those feelings reading other books. They just don't happen to be fantasy books. Totally. I think we think that world building is about like the sci-fi fantasy pieces, but world building can exist in like a contemporary fiction story too. It's just about putting in the thought to like connect all of these different stories and characters. Yeah, I love what you just said. I think that kind of describes my experience with Harry Potter too because I sometimes feel like I should try reading fantasy or sci-fi as an adult and I'll be honest with you, I've tried. The only book that I've sort of had a similar experience um, with is Nevermore, which I read for the podcast last year for New Reads November. And it's the only thing that I've read, I think, that really rivals Harry Potter in any way, which is not a hot take. Everybody says that. But I've read a few other like fantasy sci-fi books and it's not, it doesn't hold up. I've heard A Court of Thorns and Roses is really great. So I might give that a shot at some point. But I, I think you're right. Like there's lots of different ways to build a world. 
And um, I've realized that as I got older, that you can sort of have that same level of detail and immersion in all kinds of genres. Okay, Allie, let's talk just a tiny bit more about classics for a minute because we have to. We do. We have to. (laughs) And it's hard to define classics and it's even harder to define YA classics. I think we already talked about how that term wasn't widely used until maybe 20 years ago at most. And so, you know, we're we're doing all of this and we're kind of in murky waters here. But I'm curious what you think or what you've noticed are some differences or similarities between classic YA and middle grade and more contemporary YA and middle grade? This is a really interesting question. It's one of the reasons that I started this New Reads November thing, which um, we've now done twice on the podcast. So every November, we um, instead of talking about classics, we pick a YA or middle grade book from the last like one or two years and try to hone in on like a contemporary story. Because like I said, I'm not somebody who is reading everything new that's coming out in YA middle grade. So I feel like I want to be educated on how things are changing. We spend so much time on the podcast kind of like complaining about how bad some of these books are and sort of how unrepresentative they are of more contemporary ideas. So I felt like it was important to like see what kind of progress we've made. Um, I think the good news is that there is progress in terms of the kinds of diversity that a lot of authors are highlighting, um, not just in terms of race and ethnicity, but also in terms of family backgrounds, in terms of sexuality, in terms of gender, um, in terms of experiences with school. So there's definitely a diversity there, which is nice to see. There's like zero of that in older YA middle grade. I'm thrilled that we're seeing more own voices kinds of stories. Uh, One of the biggest disappointments of my SSR experience so far is that um, I discovered that Island of the Blue Dolphins, which was a book that I loved as a kid, was written by a white man about an indigenous girl. And so that's obviously like not the way that we would in 2020 appreciate that story be told. So it's nice to see um, that over time, there are more own voices stories in these categories. Um, and I think what I found too is that there are there's a, there's less of an emphasis on um, like the moral piece of things. Um, the tone is a little bit less. I don't like to use the word preachy because I do think that there's a place and a responsibility for middle grade authors, especially to like share fundamentals of being like a good human being. But I do think that it's not as heavy as it used to be, which is nice. I think it's um, there's like there's a wider range of the kinds of messages that are being shared about what it means to be a good person or to do right by humanity. And it's it's sort of shared in a more accessible way, which um, is just easier on kids. And I think it, it helps kids get into reading um, maybe with a little bit more enthusiasm. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, as not a very experienced YA reader, I do feel like kind of the lessons being taught in contemporary YA are more because of they're just authentic to the character and circumstance rather than an author trying to communicate a particular message where you walk away from the book and say, oh, I learned this little nugget of wisdom. A hundred percent. And I also think it's important to acknowledge that we still have a long way to go, especially with the diversity question. Um, and like it would, it, I would be grossly sort of like, I would be, I would be giving the industry way too much credit to say that like we've we're there. Um, there's so much still to be done. And I think um, 
you know, like the rest of us, authors are trying harder to be diverse and inclusive with their characters. And some of them are messing up and um, making big mistakes that are actually kind of like worse than if they hadn't even tried. So I think we are still kind of like figuring out the balance and trying to represent as many different communities of people as possible in a fair and like truly representative way. Yeah, I I think that is a really good point. It's not a utopia in contemporary YA either, even though it does seem that perhaps there's more intentionality behind trying to publish diverse authors and diverse voices in YA and middle grade than I even see in the adult fiction world. Yeah, there's there's a lot of effort. I think people are aware that, again, like it's so important that the, the books that we read when we're young are so foundational. And so it's that much more important that kids are exposed to a wider range of experiences. I think it's also worth noting that the language has changed. Um, I recently did an episode about sideways stories from Wayside School, which was published, I believe, in the late 70s. And um, it's a beloved book for so many, but I, and I had never read it as a kid, but I did not enjoy it as an adult. There's a lot of bullying. There's a lot of mean language. And I was very clear about that on the podcast. And I, my guest was, was a woman who has um, two young children and, you know, she had said her kids aren't in school yet. So she's not entirely sure if some of those things are still the same. And we were having some conversations about it in my Facebook community. And people were saying to me, like, you know, kids are still like this. Like, you know, why would you say that it shouldn't be expressed truthfully? Um, you know, like this, is, it would be unrealistic for us to say that kids aren't mean to each other. And my response to that is, you know, I'm not saying that kids still aren't mean to each other. I think that that's unfortunately something that like kind of has to be worked out in our instincts as kids. Um, but I do think that the way that authors and other content creators are like depicting all of that has changed. I'm not saying that kids aren't mean to each other anymore, which is I think maybe what was the misunderstanding. I'm just saying that I don't see as many contemporary authors emphasizing um, calling other kids stupid, calling other kids ugly, being fat phobic, being homophobic. I just think that those kinds of those kinds of storylines are not acceptable anymore. So, so even though maybe those behaviors are still out there in the real world, I don't think that they're being as given. They're not. I don't think they're being given as much of a platform as they were years ago. Yeah, and there's a real difference when the book is critiquing those versus yeah. like using them for laugh lines, right. which even happens in beloved books like Harry Potter, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, Allie, on our show, we offer pairings for the second half of the episode. And so we're going to do something like that here. And um, we are all going to offer a pairing of one YA novel and then one contemporary adult novel. So Allie, we're really excited to hear what you're going to pair for us today. I'm really excited about this too. So the, my, um, the, y, the classic YA book that I had in mind was actually my real answer to the question, what classic do you love the most? But I was saving it for this question, um, really building up anticipation there. <laughs> um, so the classic YA book that I had in mind was Little Women. Um, and of course, that was published at a time when YA was like most certainly not a term that was thrown around. And I would totally recommend everybody go to, go listen to the SSR episode about Little Women because we get into the publishing history a little bit because um, it, it was definitely intended for 
younger people to read, but it's obviously a book that people of all ages still enjoy. So Little Women is absolutely my favorite classic. I read it every year around Christmas. Um, so it was very special to get to do an episode about it. I am the oldest in a family of many sisters. I have one stepsister and three half sisters. Um, so I just feel very connected with the story. Um, and I love like how complicated it is shows family to be, but also how loving. And um, I would pair that with one of my favorite books of the last year or so, which is The Most Fun We Ever Had by Claire Lombardo. I'm pretty sure you both love this book also. Um, It's almost like a gimme pairing because it's so similar, four sisters in each book. um, And you really explore their relationships with each other, their relationships with their parents. In The Most Fun We Ever Had, you get more into what happens when the sisters go out into the world, of course, and how they make their own lives and the relationships that they build. Um, But I would say that like the heart of those two books is very similar. So it feels like a very appropriate pairing to me. I love that pairing. Chelsea and I both are not huge Little Women fans, but after seeing the new movie, it really made me wish I was a Little Women fan because I loved the movie so much. And I think for me, it was because I just didn't, I didn't read it as a kid. And I think if I had, I would have adored Joe and just loved everything about it. Um, But coming to it as an adult, I think was not necessarily the best way to go but I did love the most fun we ever had and I think that's a fantastic pairing thanks I I know that feelings about classics generally are complicated and I'm sure that if I didn't have the nostalgic attachment to little women and if I didn't have just like this fondness for it because of the sister element I'm sure that I would like be way more attached to the parts of it that don't hold up so well and that it's you know a little bit dry of course um but I just love the story so I'm glad you at least love the movie. I love the 2019 adaptation. It's so good. I actually own it. It's the first movie that I've like actually bought in years. Yeah, it's so good. I love that. Sarah, what about your pairing? What um, two books did you pair together? Okay, so my pairing, my YA book is not a classic, but I would say that it's right in this kind of YA renaissance or moment that Allie was talking about earlier in the early aughts. It is The Disreputable History of Frankie Landau Banks by E. Lockhart. And E. Lockhart wrote We Were Liars, which if people are on Bookstagram, they might have seen all over the place a couple of years ago. And it's kind of a thrillery YA. Frankie Landau Banks is totally different than that. And I have to give a shout out to my friend Allison Punch. Um, on Instagram at Allison Reads DC for recommending this to me. So this is a book about Frankie, who is a sophomore in high school, and she goes to this fancy East Coast boarding school. And she, between her freshman and her sophomore year, she's kind of come into her own, both in terms of her confidence a bit, but she also has like her body has developed and so she shows up on campus and all of a sudden boys are noticing her and wanting to take her out and she ends up dating this very popular senior and it's really about her coming into her own feminism and figuring out what she wants from life in a relationship and refusing to just be a nice girlfriend for the sake of keeping this relationship she she wants to be seen as powerful 
and liked. And so the book really deals with that issue for women about how it's very challenging to both have power and authority and be well-liked. And I've taught this as well. I brought it into my Women in Lit class and my students love it. So any teachers out there, highly recommend adding this. And I paired it with Fleischman is in Trouble by Taffy Brodeser Ackner, which just deals with all of the same themes, but from a wife and mother's life. Most of the book is told through Fleischman, Toby Fleischman's perspective, who's the husband in this scenario. But as you read more and more, you realize that even though he is kind of the seeming protagonist at first, the book is really about his wife, Rachel, and her desires and demands. And this was a polarizing book, but I loved it. I thought it was so smart and was kind of very much, I could see Frankie becoming Rachel. Although Allison told me that in her mind, Frankie comes out in college. And so I like that version better. Allison's trajectory for Frankie is superior to mine. (laughs) But um, I think those two would pair really well together. I love the sound of those. And this is such fun pairings, but I cheated just so you all know. Oh, I can't oh, wait no. to hear yours. <laughs> I Okay, so this pairing got stuck in my head, and it's a classic YA, or kidlet rather, and modern YA instead of an adult. And I couldn't help it. This got stuck, and I was like, I have to go with this one. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't wait to hear it. I can't. I, can't, I really am excited. Well, Allie, you'll be especially excited because this is pairing with the Babysitter's Club. Nice. Nice choice. So for all of you who love the Babysitter's Club, I would recommend Most Likely by Sarah Watson. And this is contemporary YA, but it definitely leans toward older, almost new adult. Mm -hmm. The four main best friends are all seniors in high school, and The book opens up and the very first chapter or prologue even is one of the characters and she is about to be inaugurated as the first female president of the United States. We don't know which character that is. And so then throughout the book, we meet these four best friends and we see them navigating their last year of high school and their friendships with each other, their complicated family situations, their own individual stuff, um, and then the way that they support each other. And constantly we're guessing, okay, well, which one is it that ends up being the president? Because they all have a lot going for them. They're all highly motivated and really driven, and it's really fun to unravel the mystery of that, but more than anything, I really appreciated the depiction of female friendship, and it was it was a really fun read, and I felt like I was turning the pages just as if it was a thriller <laughs> to find out um, who it was going to be, but yeah, it was just really fun, so that's the Babysitter's Club. If you loved those then um, I would pair that with Most Likely by Sarah Watson. 
Well, I'm definitely adding most likely to my TBR. And I, Sarah, I loved your pairing also, but I have read Fleshman is in Trouble, so I don't need to add that to my TBR. I'm definitely <laughs> adding most likely to my TBR. It's Me a good one. too. Yeah. Chelsea, you talked about that in our wrap-up, and I'm super excited to read that one. It's also – I really liked it on audio. So mm. if you're audiobook listeners, it was good on audio, but I think it would just be a really good, quick, page-turning summer book. All right. Well, Allie, this has been so much fun. And before we finish chatting about books, will you give us one book you've read recently that you've enjoyed? Doesn't have to be YA, just something you've loved. This this recommendation is very out of character for me, but I feel like it's okay for me to recommend it because everybody else has also been recommending it. The Jessica Simpson memoir was it, it blew my mind with how good it was. And I will say, <laughs> I, like everyone else, I've been having some trouble like focusing on books. I've been coming in and out of a lot of books. Um, I'm finding that things that I normally wouldn't gravitate to have been like completely sucking me in lately. I'm going to cheat and say another one. Um, Long Bright River was like my favorite book of the year so far. And that's not the type of book that I normally would gravitate toward. Neither is open book, which is a celebrity memoir. I mean, I, I generally don't like make a priority of reading celebrity memoirs, but she was so impressive. I love the way she told her story. Um, it was so refreshing to like hear the truth about somebody's experience during this time when I was a teen and was just sort of like consuming what was right in front of me. So um, if you are skeptical about the Jessica Simpson book and you're feeling like you can't possibly believe that all of these positive reviews are real, I'm here to tell you that it's real and it would be a great summer read. I 100% agree. It was so good. It's it I mean I don't want to say that I was like I wasn't like hating on it before, but I was I was sort of like okay guys, like mm-hmm, I'm sure it's great. And then I read it and I I was like I think Jessica Simpson is my new hero. Like I think she's so fantastic. It was like everything that you want in a celebrity memoir. It was juicy. It was honest and yeah, I, that one really surprised me as well. I thought it was great. I've heard the Demi Moore memoir is really good too, but I I need a little space because I'm still processing Jessica Simpson's experience. But I've heard that Demi's is like similarly um, surprising in a very good way. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, Allie, we would love to know where people can go to find you to talk about books and your podcast. So Give us the details on where we can find you. Sure. So you can check out the podcast. Again, it's the SSR podcast in pretty much all of your normal podcatchers, Apple Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Google Play. Um, and we have new episodes every Tuesday. So please come on over and take a listen. Um, and then I'm all over social media too. Instagram tends to be where I hang out the most. Um, I'm at SSR pod over there. Also at SSR pod on Twitter. And um, you can find me on Facebook at the SSR podcast. Thanks, Allie. And thank you so much for coming on to talk to us today. This was really, really fun. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I'm so honored to be your first guest. I'm so glad you were our first guest. And hopefully you won't be a stranger over on Novel Pairings. Oh, never. Like, please, I I will gladly come back. (laughs) 
For more classic lit enthusiasm and podcast news, you can follow us on Instagram at Novel Pairings Pod or Twitter at Novel Pairings. We would love to know whether you pick up any of the books that we mentioned today, so feel free to tag us on social media. We are a fairly new podcast, so we really appreciate your support with spreading the news about our show. You can tell your friends about us and share a favorite episode on social media or write a review on Apple Podcasts to help new listeners find our show. Thank you to Mark Anderson and Miles Eichner for our theme music. We'll be back soon with an episode on Passing by Nella Larson. We declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything